Yesterday, we covered a lot of ground, okay? Um, and we read the entire chapter of Mark chapter 26 and the entire chapter of, no, Mark chapter 14, excuse me, and Matthew chapter 26, and almost all of Luke chapter 22, and a lot of John chapter 18. Uh, so, Cavalero, this is great that you're back. I, I, I try, Cavalero, I try. All right, so, um, yeah. So, just a quick little recap. Amongst the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, there were some contradictions, as we, you know, as you guys know. Uh, a lot of it was just differences, and there were some of it was a lot like quite different. And it, and it, again, it just depends on how you look at it. John was way more different as usual, um, and so. And I did deal with, deal with the whole idea that John um, is is quite out of order anyway, quite out of order. Davy says frozen, frozen. I was frozen. I hope you're not frozen. But uh, I, yeah, the computer here was just frozen. It it just the whole thing froze. Right, it was hanging. If you want to put it that way, the computer hung. Okay, so. Um, yeah, we dealt with it with the whole idea that uh, in the Gospel of John, only 7% of the Gospel of John, they say, is found in the other Synoptic Gospels. And even the stuff that's found in the Gospel of John is out of order compared to the rest of the Gospels, for the most part. I mean, generally speaking, you got, you know, from the beginning to the end in the crucifixion, resurrection, generally speaking, uh, it, it's generally in order, but a lot of different uh events such as the cleansing of the temple it's it's in it's in the opposite place in the gospel of john instead of it being in the uh at the end of jesus ministry as it is in the synoptics it's it's at the beginning of jesus ministry in the gospel of john and i know that we had somebody uh last night that tried to say that uh, they tried to challenge the fact that uh that john is out of order and, uh, you know, anybody who does, uh, you know, challenge that very fact, I mean, is just um, absolutely uh, in denial. No, no doubt about it. It's in de- people who challenge the fact that, uh, that the Gospel of John is out of order and there's a lot of things that were added by apparently different uh, authors. These people are, are either A, in denial of reality or B, just very ignorant. Okay, just very very ignorant. Um, so not only do we have um, those problems with the Gospel of John, but we also have a problem here, especially when it comes to the resurrection or the whole the whole story, actually, from the Last Supper all the way through to the crucifixion. Um, we have a problem with timing. Okay, as we saw yesterday, Matthew chapter twenty six, um, Mark chapter. Uh, 14. Luke chapter 22 is very, very clear that the Last Supper was Passover. It was was eaten on Passover. Um, However, uh, in the Gospel of John, now I just want to point this out. Gospel of John, here's the screen share for those of you who are on YouTube. Uh, John chapter 18, verse 28. Now, this is is later on in the story. This is after Jesus uh, had the uh, Last Supper. Okay, this is after he um, 
uh, after Peter's denial, after uh, after his arrest, all that kind of thing. It's in Pilate's court now, verse 28. This is John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go out into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So obviously the Passover, uh, this was all happening before the Passover here in the Gospel of John. Which is, I I do have to say, I'll give you the absolute truth. And again, if you're open to the to the truth, you'll get it. If not, you'll never get it. You'll make you'll make you make excuses for it. The truth of the matter is, it's a contradiction. Period. End of story. Full stop. It's a contradiction. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We got the Synoptic Gospels. Tell tells us that the Last Supper. Um, was basically the Passover, and that Yeshua, Jesus, and his disciples ate the Passover, the Last Supper, on Passover, and everything else happened after Passover. Whereas the Gospel of John, very clearly here in John 18, verse 28, all that stuff happened how long how many days before the Passover and even at the point when he's at he's um before Pilate, it's still before the Passover. Yes, it's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. But it doesn't surprise me because it's the Gospel of John. And like I said, there are so many problems with the Gospel of John. Um, Let me just show you one thing here. There is, uh, if I can pull this up. Let me see if I can pull this up. Um, Yeah, let me see here. Sorry about this, but I just want to show you guys something. Okay, so this is a this is a biblical scholar by the name of Christopher Tuckett, and he wrote this. Let me see if I can share my screen here. Um, he wrote this about the story of the gospel, uh, the story of the crucifixion, Last Supper, so on and so forth, in the Gospel of John. Um, Let me see if I can get this. Okay, so this is what Christopher Tuckett says, biblical scholar. He says, in terms of simplicity of historical reliability or authenticity, it seems impossible to maintain that both John and the synoptics, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, can be presenting us with equally authentic accounts of Jesus' own life. That's a very powerful statement there. Let me just stop here for a second, because this, this particular Christian biblical scholar acknowledges the fact that um, John is way, uh, it's, it's just irreconcilable. Uh, from a perspective of historical reliability and authenticity. He goes on to say, by authentic accounts, I mean here historically accurate representations of what Jesus himself actually said and did. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Again, let me stop here for a second, because this this particular scholar is is, uh, giving us a... um, definition here when he says authentic he says basically he doesn't think that um 
it's either uh, John is authentic or Matthew, Mark, and Luke are authentic. You can't have it both ways. And he says, by authentic accounts, I mean historically accurate representations of what Jesus himself actually said and did. The the theological authenticity of John's account is quite another matter. So what what does this mean? Well, to put it in very simple terms, what what, uh, Mr. Tuckett says here is that um, John is not giving us an historical account, but rather a theological account, whereas it's not historical, it's not um, uh, it's not historically authentic, but rather it could be. Again, especially when when put up against uh, you know the epistles of Paul, for example, uh, it could be, according to Paulianism or Paulianity, it could be uh, deemed as theologically authentic, not historically authentic. So, what do I mean by that? For example, um, you can have something that's not historically accurate, for example, that Jesus, you know, died on a different day or, you know, had the, um, um, had the uh, last supper on a different day and so on and so forth. Um, but still have it in a, in a, still have some theology behind it. Um, and let me explain, we'll, um, we'll get into this in just a moment here. I think it's very important to understand this as we get into John's account of the the passion of Jesus. Anyway, the the, uh, theological authenticity of John's account is quite another matter. The differences between the two are, are, let me say this again, the differences between the two are too deep-seated and wide-ranging for such a position to be sustainable. If there is a choice, it's almost certainly uh, to be made in the favor of the synoptic picture, at least in a broad, in broadly general terms. In other words, this particular scholar says that the synoptic gospels are more accurate, um, and to be, you know, they're more. Uh, that's what you should go by, rather than the Gospel of John. He continues to say the picture of John, the picture John then presents us with, is a view of the Jew, G, Jesus tradition which has been heavily colored and influenced by John and his own situation. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, in other words, to put it in more simple terms, uh, this particular scholar says uh, that basically John is not accurate. He throws his own twist. He he, he, he throws his own spin on the uh, on the uh, the account of Yeshua's death, resurrection, even Last Supper, even actually because you see in the um, in the synoptics you you got Yeshua going into Jerusalem, the triumphant em- entry. He um, he he cle- he cleanses the temple. He flips the tables, and then it goes from there into. You know the uh, the whole thing about Jesus being um, you know uh, Judas uh, uh, betrayal and Jesus arrest and, and yada yada yada. But John again the triumphant end entry, the beginning of the passion of Jesus, so the passion of Yeshua, the passion of Christ. Um, in John, the beginning, the triumphant em- entry. Is way at the very beginning of, of, of Jesus' ministry. Again, it, anybody with a, any any little bit of common sense 
would look at John, the gospel of John and say, yes, it is completely out of order and it cannot be relied upon in a historical and chronological matter. That's just a fact. You like it or not, that's just a fact. Um, that's why it's not synoptic. You cannot put it, you cannot, you can, you can line up Matthew, Mark, and Luke, at least loosely line them up, but you can't line uh, John up because it's just all over the place. And 90, 90 to 93% of John is not even in the synoptics for one reason or another. Yeah, the different differences, um, differences between like the synoptics in, in John is just, again, I, th- I like the way that that scholar puts it. It's just too wide ranging and deep seated to even compare the two. Yeah. So let, let me just, let me just uh, show you one more before we get into, Before we get in, before we pick up where we left off here. So this is our comparison screen again for those of you who are on YouTube. Again, if you're listening to a, if you're listening to me on another platform, um, and you do not see what I like, if you don't see my screen share here, please go on over to YouTube. Look me up over there, Christopher Enoch on TikTok. My link, the link to my YouTube channel is in my TikTok bio. Okay, it's in the bio. It's in my. It's on my profile page. Um, if that doesn't work, just go over to YouTube and search for Christopher Enoch. Okay, so John chapter eighteen. Let's go back again to John chapter thirteen. Okay, so again, you see here, verse one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, uh, that he should depart from this world uh, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and and supper being ended, the devil had already put into the uh, heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, uh, to betray him. Okay, so again, this is another another piece of evidence right here that we have the supper there, the so-called you know the Last Supper ended before the Passover, whereas in Mark and Luke, you know, you got the synoptics, very, very clear. It was on the Passover. And let me just, I want to reiter, reiterate something too that I said yes, last, uh, last night. And that is, I have read someone, you know, again, when it comes to these things, people just make up the stupidest excuses and the wildest ways of trying to reconcile one to another I'm not into that jazz. I'm just not into it. Okay. If it's, if it's, if it's contradictory, leave it as it is. Don't try to bend and twist one and bend and twist the other to try to make it compatible. I don't believe in that. Take it for what it says. If it doesn't say it, don't write it in there. First thing I think that people need to realize is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke should not be read as one book. A lot of Christians read them as one book. They read the four Gospels as if it's all part of the same book. It's not. They were separate authors who wrote separate biographies in different times, especially the Gospel of John. Again, um, we're thinking like late second century, and some scholars even believe it was later than that, which that takes us way out of the league of the of the disciples of the, in the lifetime of, of Jesus into some other, uh, completely some other century, um, written by someone else. 
so we should always um you know read the scriptures for read read it for what it really says read it for what it really says don't try to make it say something that it doesn't say so um yeah in john it was before the passover he was actually before pilate before the passover after going through all of that uh like compare that with mark chapter 14 Mark chapter 14, verse, I see Mark, see Mark down here in the bottom left-hand corner, uh, it says, uh, verse 12, now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that, we, that you may eat the Passover? And then it goes into the whole story about how they prepared for the Last Supper. And then later, Jesus institutes the, la the Lord's Supper, yada, yada, yada. Peter denies them and all that kind of stuff. And so, like, obviously, here in Mark, we have the, uh, the Passover happened long before um, Jesus got to um, uh, Pilate. Okay, like look at look at all the stuff that happened here. And just just quickly going over this, Mark, we have first of all the Passover happens. Okay, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, you know they prepared for it, and Jesus ate the Lord's supper on the Passover, and then predicts Peter's denial, and then the prayer in the garden, um, and then the betrayal and arrest in Gethsemane. And then Jesus faces the Sanhedrin. Then Peter denies Jesus and weeps. Okay. And then after all that, he's then he faces Pilate. But in, in John, John chapter 18, verse 28. I know it says John 13 up here, but it is John 18, actually. Uh, let me just, John 18, verse 28. Um. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go to the Praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So the Passover didn't, didn't happen yet. So uh, obviously there's a great contradiction here between the two accounts. That's a fact. You see it right there, black and white right there. Um, It's very important. And once you understand the hierarchy of even just, just between the Gospels, like Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, and I believe actually the accuracy is in that order, Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. Um, once you understand that, I mean, these kind of facts that I'm presenting to you tonight doesn't shake your, your faith at all. It will not shake your Actually, it builds your faith because the more truth you get, the more faith you have okay truth uh, faith does not come by fantasy faith does not come by falsehood faith comes through truth and we have a god of truth so when we face things like this we must be willing to follow the truth to acknowledge, to acknowledge the truth even if it goes against everything we've ever believed all the you know from from the since we were little till now 
Now, some people, some people would try to make, try to reconcile it by saying, well, John, well, he was going by a different calendar. Again, this is one of these wild, outlandish, crazy reconciliations that people try to pull off. But there's no evidence of that. And why would John go by a different calendar? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke go by. I mean, even if he went, it just doesn't make sense. We have no historical evidence of that whatsoever. Again, uh, looking at it from a, uh, a scholarly point of view, John, the Gospel of John is not historically accurate, period. It's not. It's not. You didn't have multiple groups. You didn't have John observing a different calendar as opposed to Matthew. Okay? If they are who they're supposed to be, they'd all be observing the same calendar. <laughs> they didn't observe a different calendar. And that's not even to mention how many problems that we have in John, the Gospel of John. Again, people who try to make up the excuse that, well, it's a different calendar. They intentionally ignore dozens of other in issues with, with the book of John. For example, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, it, it, most scholars say that wasn't even written by John. It was written by an, some anonymous author later on. John 15, 16, and 17 also was not written by John, but rather added by some other uh, uh source later on. John chapter 7, verse 57 through John chapter 8, verse 11. Very commonly, and, and it's just undeniable. Uh, actually, there's nothing that's, un, I mean, there's no such thing as undeniable evidence because always you got these, it doesn't matter who it is, even if you got the, you know, the Nimnus out there, they'll deny anything. Okay, you, you they'll deny anything. If you want to deny it, you'll deny it. But anybody in their right mind and any Good scholar, when you look at the evidence, you have to come up to the conclusion that all of that whole entire passage from the, the very last um, passage of John chapter 7 all the way through to the, fir the first the good chunk of John chapter 8 was added, forged in there, wedged in there by some unknown author hundreds of years after the fact. How do we know that? Because we have copies of the book of John. In, like, for example, the uh, Codex Sinaiticus is the oldest Bible in the world. It has the book of John in it. And that particular passage is not in there at all. No other ancient manuscript in the first 300 and some odd years of, of the uh, book of John has that passage in it. It only shows up Hundreds of years after the fact. Some people say it was the 4th century, 5th century. Some people think it's even later than that, than some uh, scholar, or not scholar, some, um, uh, you know, um, anonymous Joe Blow walks in the scene somehow and somehow jams that whole story in there. Where'd he get it from? Who knows? Plus, you got the problem that 90 to 93% of the Gospel of John is not found in any of the other Gospels. Why? 
Did they forget about it? Did Matthew, Mark, and Luke all forget about it? Did they know about it? But they didn't think it was important enough to put in their in their book? And why is it that John, this is a, the book, the Gospel of John is supposed to be written by the disciple John. But then we got Poly, uh, excuse me, Polycarp, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's historically uh, a fact that Polycarp was um, John's disciple, just like how Clement was Peter's disciple. So Polycarp was the successor of John, but yet in Polycarp's writings, he mentions nothing of the Gospel of John at all. Why not? Most scholars have come to the conclusion that it's because the Gospel of John wasn't even written by then. And it wasn't written by John. It wasn't written by who a lot of people think it was written by. Let me throw a little bit of a disclaimer in here. If it was written by John, it wasn't written by the John that people think it was. Because there were a lot of people who were called John at the time. Christian says uh, on TikTok says, um, well, uh, Luke's gospel is the most special to me. Yeah, you see, I as far as I can see, uh, it, it, with all the study that I've done and all the assessments that I've done, Matthew would be the most accurate. Luke would be the second most accurate. Mark is definitely the least of the synoptic gospels in regards to accuracy. There's a lot of problems with Mark, and John is the worst. Uh, for for many other re the reasons that I just stated, plus many other reasons uh, that I have not stated, I'm not going to get into all that right now because we just don't have time to get into the the whole all the um, details of that right now. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are on TikTok, if you have a message that you want to bring specifically to my attention, please put at Christopher in the live chat, and I will get to that as much as possible. Christian says Luke's gospel is information directly ascended from 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 ascended Christ directly directly from ascended Christ. May I ask what 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 is your source on that information because as far as I know of Christian um every Christian scholar um believes that Luke just copied Mark and nobody even knows who wrote Mark. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that every reputable Christian scholar there is in the world, look it up. They will tell you that Luke was just a copy from Mark and, and, and whoever Luke was, but they don't even know who Luke was, interpolated uh, and changed whatever he wanted to change and added what he wanted to add. But he, for the most part, they believe that, that they got their information from Mark. But you made a statement here that Luke, Luke's gospel is information directly from ascended Christ. I want to ask you an honest question. And I'm sincerely interested in your point of view. How do you know that? How do you know that? What evidence do you have? I'm sincerely interested in, in that evidence. What evidence do you have, Christian? I'd like to know. Sincerely like to know. Okay. Um, 
so let's get into, let's finish up the Gospel of Luke first. And Christian, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be checking the live chat over there. <laughs> uh, so Christian says, for those of you who are on uh, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Twitch and all these other ones. So Christian says his, his, his evidence was Luke was always with Paul. Okay. Paul wasn't even with Jesus. Okay. All right. So that's another story. I mean, I'm not trying to be difficult here. I mean, this is just facts. Okay. At the most, at the, the, um, at best, at best, Paul had a vision of Yeshua. Okay. There are literally millions of people around that have, that had visions of Yeshua. I have, I ever, most of the people I know of personally, Christians, they all have. So again, that doesn't tell me anything because Luke was with Paul, but then again, Paul didn't have everything in, in order either. I mean, he was, he, he came in after the fact. I mean, look at First uh, Chronicles chapter 15. He said very, very clearly, he said, um, I'm the least of all the apostles. And remember, apost there are millions of apostles, right? And Paul was never part of the 12, neither could he ever be part of the 12. But Paul says that he's the least of all the apostles. He said that he's not even worthy to be called an apostle. He said that he is, is as one born out of due time. What does that mean? Well, in other words, he missed everything. He missed everything. He missed the virgin birth. He missed the baptism. He missed the miracles of Jesus. That's why he doesn't mention anything about the miracles of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. He hasn't, he doesn't mention anything about that Actually, the only thing he mentions about the teachings of Jesus is something that's misquoted, and people don't even know where he got it from. And that is, he said, quote, Jesus said, quote, it's better to give than to receive, unquote. Where did Jesus say that? I mean, it sounds good. It sounds like, it sounds like something that Jesus would say, but with that particular quote is not in the Gospels at all. So Christian says, and those of you who are on TikTok and you know me well, you know what's you know coming. Christian says, and Paul's information is from Ascended Christ. Okay, so let me get this straight. Okay, let me get this straight. So Luke is directly from Ascended Christ because Luke was with Paul, and Paul, his information is from Ascended Christ. So that does that's kind of like circular reasoning. You're telling me that Luke got his information directly from Ascended Christ. How do you know? And again, I'm not trying to be in, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm sincerely want, wondering what kind of evidence you had because I've been studying this deeply for 30 years. And so you said this a few times. So this is your evidence? Well, Luke talks about things that weren't in other gospels until he parallels accounts. So he, he talks about things that weren't in other gospels. So that means it's true. That means he got it exact. Even if it's not, even if it's true, you're, you're not saying we're not talking about true or not true. We're you're saying that he got it directly from the ascended Christ. So just because Luke got 
Luke says things that other gospels didn't say. By the way, Matthew says a whole lot of things that other gospels didn't say, don't say either. And John says a whole lot of things that other gospels don't say either. And the gospel of Thomas says a whole lot of things that the other gospels don't say either. Okay. And many of the other uh, gospels that have not been published in our um, typical idol that we call Bible canon, say other things that the other Gospels don't say either. So do you mean that just because somebody has something to say that is different than another Gospel, that means conclusively that it's from, directly from, the Ascended Christ? Is that what you're trying to say? And since Paul's information is from Ascended Christ, <laughs> that's a totally different topic. Again, like I would say, how do you know? I would say, how do you know? And this is what happens to you guys. Let me just say, we'll get into this very shortly here, but this is what happens. I've seen it so many times when you've got people who they put all their faith in, in Paul and they say, well, you know, Paul's, you know, like, like this, like this is a good example, perfect example here, Christian. So Paul got everything, everything he said was, was directly from Christ. Well, how do you know? Well, because Paul said so. Well, first of all, he did not say so. He said that he got some things. First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, seven, verse 12. In fact, he says, I say this, not, not the Lord. What I'm telling you is my own opinion, my own judgment, not God's. He made that very, very clear. And I know sometimes he, he did say, you know, someone might pull out the verse here and a verse there where he says, you know, that I, I received revelation from Christ. Well, just because someone says that they received revelation directly from Christ, does that mean that, it, that they received that? that in me? Even Jesus said, if I testify of myself, my testimony means nothing. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. If I honor myself, my honor means nothing. So you're trying to use Paul to confirm Paul? Like I said the other day, it's like saying, it's almost like saying this. It's like saying, well, David Koresh is the Messiah. Well, how do you know so? Because he said so. Well, just because he said so doesn't mean that he is. And obviously we know that he's not. Just because Paul said that he got his information from Christ, even again, he didn't say he got all of it. He's just a little bit. But even though he said he got some information from Jesus through rev revelation, that doesn't mean, that means nothing according to proper <laughs> logic and uh, critical thinking. Uh, you don't believe Joe Blow just because Joe Blow says that he's good. Well, how do you know Joe Blow's good? Because he said he's good. <laughs> oh, so he said he's good. Okay. I get it. No, you need more than that. You need a whole lot more than that to go by. Christian, you didn't answer my question yet. What evidence do you have that Luke got his information directly. You got all of his information directly from the ascended Christ. Because what you are saying, I hope you realize this. What you are saying, I'm not telling you a story. It's actually in your own church history. What you are saying is against church history. It's against Christian scholars who have studied this, uh, given their lives to study this kind of thing. 
they will tell you, number one, that Luke was not an eyewitness, nor they don't even know. A lot of scholars say they don't even know who, who Luke even was. Like he didn't identify himself as Luke. How do you know it was Luke? Like seriously. Um, some scholars think it wasn't Luke. Regardless of the fact, the Gospel of Luke, according to most, if not all scholars, they say that the author of the Gospel of Luke got his information from Mark. Who's Mark? Nobody knows. Only God knows. I don't know. Uh, Mark, they say, well, was not an eyewitness. And he. some people think that Mark was a... Some somehow um, a recorder, uh, dic- you know, he was like uh, someone who uh, wrote for Peter when Peter dictated the gospel. But that's another theory that's not proven. So Christian says, what I'm saying is Paul was given revelation by Christ and he gave all his info to Luke. It's two different. There, there are two different things here going on. Number one is you said that Paul was was given revelation by Christ. That's one thing. That's something we can talk about. That's a different topic. And he gave all his info to Luke. Where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? I sincerely want to know, where do you get that info from? Are you just, are you just making it up? Are you just assuming that? Are you just assuming that Luke is actually the Luke that used to hang around? The, the Gospel of Luke was written by the same Luke that hung around Paul, and you're just assuming somehow Paul gave his information to Luke, even though Paul didn't know. It doesn't make sense, Christian, because Paul didn't know. He didn't mention in, in Paul's legit letters, in his legitimate, proven letters, he mentioned nothing of the virgin birth. He mentioned nothing of the miracles and of the teachings of Christ. Nothing like that. Paul's letters and Luke are completely different. They're completely different documents, completely different. They're in completely different leagues. If Paul knew all that, why didn't Paul mention any of it in his letters? That's another question for you. But I'd like to know where you get your information from. Luke was always with Paul. Where do you think? Again, how do you know he was always with Paul? You're making a lot of assumptions. Paul's validity is another whole topic, okay? First of all, what you're making a lot of assumptions because you're providing no clear clear evidence here. You're making a lot of assumptions. You're making the assumption that the Gospel of Luke was actually written by the same Luke that was with Paul. That's one assumption, okay? And then on top of that assumption, you assume that Luke was with Paul all the time, and that's where Luke got all of his information from. Again, again, that's against all of your scholars. It's against all of your scholars. I, I mean, if you know better than the scholar, the Christian scholars, I want to know. I want to know who you are, and I want to know how you get your information, because if you know better than them, I want to learn from you. But as, as far as I see, none of the, nothing that you're saying here makes any, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. So if Paul, first of all, Paul didn't know, Paul didn't know about the Gospels, okay? He, 
If he did, why didn't he quote them? Okay? Paul didn't know. Second of all, if Paul knew about all of the information that Luke wrote down, why didn't Paul m mention any of that in his, in his epistles? It's like, okay, Luke, I'll take you out to the side here. I'm going to take you into some corner and I'm going to tell you things. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you things, Luke, that I've never told anybody else. I'm going to tell you about the virgin birth of Jesus. I'm going to tell you about the, the, um, the genealogy of Jesus. That contradicts Matthew. I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell you all about that. I'm going to tell you all about the miracle, the, the baptism of Jesus, and the miracles of Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus, and all that thing. I'm going to tell you all about that, but I'm not going to tell anybody else. Mm -mm -mm. I'm not going to tell anybody else. I'm going to pretend like I don't know. Does that make sense to you? You are making a ton of assumptions, one on top of another, on top of another. You're building a house of cards that's really fake, as far as I see. I hope you realize, Christian, and you know what? I'm it, Honestly, Christian, I hope, it, listen, I'm trying to help you out because you, you talk like this kind of stuff. You talk like this in front of other people, like Jews or Muslims that would know better. You're going to make a fool of yourself. I'm sorry, but you are. And I'm trying to help you out here. Because once you once you get into the proper, once first of all, you need to understand historically what the what the what what we have, what the the historical evidence, historical facts. And again, what you're saying is is completely against everybody that I know of that that's, that's the the educated scholars. You're, it's completely against all of that. You're making a ton of assumptions. Again, Paul is a different story, Christian. Paul is a different story. If you are serious about learning and you want to uh, know more, it says here, uh, it says just seeking out your point of view. Okay, if, if you are really, really honest about this, I'll be glad to tell you my point of view. I can't tell you all right now because, I mean, we're going to get into, uh, right now we're going to be we're gonna looking at all the different four Gospels. And we're going to get into these these details. I'm not going to get into all that right now. But if you're serious about this, okay, make sure you're following. Make sure you got me on your your list, okay. Especially on YouTube because on YouTube I got uh, it's you know I got the um, I can share I I share my screen on there. You read you see exactly what I see. I share all kinds of different things. I show you pictures and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, if you're really honest about this, you really want to know my point of view. And by the way, my point of view doesn't really matter either. I mean, I, if if my point of view goes against uh, historical evidence, then my point of view is wrong. But I do my best to make sure that my point of view is is on par with uh, historical evidence and with you know objective truth. Okay, so um, if you really want to know, Christian. Make sure you're following. Go on over to YouTube. Look me up over there. Make sure you're 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 uh, you're subscribed over there as well. Make sure you got the notifications on, because hey, um, I'd be glad to uh, you know. I'm sure that all the uh, all the brothers and sisters over there on YouTube right now uh, would be glad to fellowship with you and talk to you about all these different things as well. Do it. Go on over. Check it out. Okay. Um, but as it is right now, um, nothing that you have shown me right now is is any evidence whatsoever 
of what you're of, of <laughs> it's not evidence. It's just a, it's just really uh, I mean it's a, it's a, it's a wild theory to think that Luke got out you know somehow Paul whispered all of all the information that Luke got was was whispered from Paul because Paul knows everything. Well, first of all, Paul made it very clear he doesn't know everything. First and then secondly, the book of Acts makes it very very clear that Paul is someone that wasn't held in high esteem. Okay, uh, they didn't, you know, the the leaders of the church in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 21, and uh, Acts chapter 15, the leaders of the church didn't give Paul a word in edgewise, even though the whole the whole idea was about um, Gentiles. And, you know, but that's another whole story. The, uh, you know, Acts chapter 21, they give Paul a lot of trouble for saying what he said. Oh, they gave him a lot of trouble for 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 saying the things that he said. He paid dearly. He paid dearly. Christian says, I will study the topic in return. I've never truly had, had any debates on the validity of the New Testament. Uh, you know what? What I would encourage you to do, Christian, is look at it from every point of view. Okay? Look at it from every point of view. Do not be afraid to listen to people that are that teach things and that say things that are completely against everything that you've ever heard before. Because you know what? The truth will always prevail. The truth will always prevail. And again, if you want to know my, I have spent literally, I don't know how many, well over a thousand hours, maybe, maybe over 2000 hours on YouTube discussing these topics, Paul and a lot of different questions that you have. So I would encourage you to go over there and listen to, uh, if you really want to know my point of view, you can get a lot of it from my, my videos that have already been published on YouTube. Okay. So, um, let's read the last part of Luke chapter 22, and then we'll go into John and compare that with the other three gospels. Luke chapter 22 up here in the, for those of you who are on YouTube right now, it's up on the top right-hand corner of your screen. It's subtitled as Jesus mocked and beaten. So this is Luke, Luke 22, verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him saying, prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemy, blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into, the, into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, in other words, if you are Mashiach, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I always, excuse me, if I also ask you, you will, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they, and they, and they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. 
Okay, just a few little observations here before we go uh, to the next chapter. First of all, we see here uh, the differences between the, this and the other Gospels. Uh, we see they. It's talking about they. They said this. They said that to him. Uh, in the other Gospels, it's Caiaphas, right? In the other Gospels, it's the high priest that said, that's actually speaking to him. One person, not they. Okay, I know some people would say, well, it was more than just high priest. So Luke just talked about the other people, too. Whereas in, you know, the other Gospels, they, they just focused on the one person. Yeah, OK, you can say that. It's different, though. Very different. Um, another thing, too, is if you if you and we're not going to do this right tonight, but just to kind of put a bug in your ear, so to speak, if you compare Matthew with Luke, you'll see this often where Matthew talks about one person. And Luke says too, like for example, the blind man, the blind Bartimaeus, or so to speak, right? Uh, you got the blind man who came, you know, uh, you know. Uh, in one of the gospels, it's one man. In the other gospel, it's two. And then and you'll see this. This is a very common thing between Matthew and Luke. One gospel says one, and the other gospel says two. And here again, we got Luke saying, "They, they." So let's go to Luke chapter 23 here. And this is Jesus handed over to Pontius Pilate. Okay, so, um, well, let's begin with Matthew. And then we'll just kind of go around the clock, so to speak, here. We'll go Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. Matthew says, when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then it talks about Judas here. So let's go uh, over to Luke. This is Luke 23, verse 1. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying he himself is Christ, a king. Keep in mind that the Messiah in a Jewish mind, is a king. It's a political leader. Uh, verse 3, Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, saying, It is as you say. Now again, we get, we're getting a little bit too far here in, in the Gospel of Luke, so let's go down here to Mark and um, compare Mark as well. Mark 15, verse 1, Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a, cons a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he said to him, it is as you say. Okay. So again, this is one of the, another, I mean, we see this, we saw this so far um, all night last night, even into tonight as well, where Mark and Luke and Mark and Matthew are aligned up. And this is the reason why um, Mark is considered to be the um, the source or one of the sources for Luke and Matthew. Now, other sources include what they call Q, the Q text, Aquella um, as another name for it, that they believe that uh, Luke and or Mar Matthew got their information from. It wasn't from Paul. <laughs> it wasn't from Paul. Um, Okay, let's get on here. Uh, check out John chapter 18. Again, verse 28 makes it very clear. Uh, John completely puts it on a completely different date, saying that it, that it was before the Passover. Uh, verse 29, Pilate then 
Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. (laughs) This is the same kind of, I'm kind of chuckling because this is the same kind of critical thinking that a lot of people have today. It's like, there's, that's not evidence. Like a lot of people do not understand what good evidence is. That's the thing. A lot of people do not understand what good evidence is. And it's so, it's just so vital for us to understand this. Critical thinking is, it should be like the foremost talent, the foremost aptitude, ability that you guys uh, exercise and are good in. Critical thinking. Because, again, like, Pilate says, okay, so this man, you bring this man to me to be, to be, uh, you know, to be charged. What accusation do you have? And the response is, well, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Well, again, that's not evidence. That's not, that's not really answering the question. That's not an accusation. That's not a charge. You know, it's a, it's an assumption. Like, come on, Pilate, just go with our assumption. You know, he's an evildoer, period. Well, what, what did he do? What is he charged with? What are his charges? Never mind, Pilate. He's an evildoer. That's the reason why we brought him here. Therefore, punish him. It's like, again, bad thinking on the part of these people, according to the uh, Gospel of John. Verse 31, this is John 18, 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I, like, I'd probably answer uh, the way I just answered now. If I, if I were Pilate, I would say, that's not evidence. <laughs> that, so how is he an evildoer? Well, he's, a new, he, he's an evildoer because he's an evildoer, you know, <laughs> C- you know circular reasoning. So how did Pilate answer that? You, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Very interesting, guys. Very, very interesting here, because if this is true, if this is true, if it is not lawful for any Jew to put, another one, to put anyone to death, why was Paul doing what he was doing? Why was Paul doing what he was doing? Admittedly so. He said he persecuted Christians unto death. If it's not lawful for Jews to put anyone to death, what was Paul doing? Why did he do that? If he really was Torah observant, if he really did go by the Torah as a lot of Christians believe, what commandment in the Torah tells us to put Christians to death? What commandment was Paul going by? What could he possibly been, have been thinking? Seriously. Seriously. Paul is a problem. The, the Paul problem. The Paul problem. <laughs> it's a, it's a pro- problem. Paul, he, I don't know. I don't understand how he's, you know, he's, it's, 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 he's just... Uh, he's just, an, he's quite the unit. That's all I can say. Verse 32, uh, that saying, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he should die. 
which this is uh, this is referring to, by the way, such sayings that we read earlier on in the Gospel of John, such as in John chapter three, when Yeshua said that he is going to be lifted up, um, spoke speaking of uh, being crucified, you know, as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent on the pole, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, um, signifying by what death he would die. Now, again, it kind of makes me shake my head a little bit because a lot of the Christians today in, uh, in churches today, they sing songs like lift him, lift up, you know, lift his name on high, you know, and lift up Jesus, lift him up. Uh, do you know what you're saying? (laughs) It's not about praising him. It's about crucifying him. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's a, total misunderstanding uh misinterpretation of the scriptures when you get these people singing songs like that anyway john chapter 18 verse 33 then pilate answered or excuse me entered the praetorium again called jesus and said to him are you the king of the jews jesus answered are you speaking for yourself or uh, about this or did others tell you uh, tell you this concerning me um again um this is John adding things here to like, we don't have this in Mark. We don't have this in Luke. Um, in Matthew, um, we don't have that in Matthew either. Uh, so anyway, um, back to John eighteen thirty five. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and, and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? It's pretty bad when Pilate has to ask the accused himself what the charges are because all they all they can tell Pilate is, well, he is guilty. Well, what's he guilty of? Well, he's guilty. <laughs> what did he do? Well, he's an evildoer. That's, that's why we brought him to you. Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Guess what? They did fight in, in other gospels. Uh, so that I should... Uh, should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Um, so, very interesting here. Um, excuse me. All right. So Pilate therefore uh, said to him again, "Are you are you a king then?" Now let me just um, say here, my. Let me just go back to verse 36 here. Yeshua said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Now, the um, his servants did fight, okay? We see that, especially in Luke. And actually, we see this also in the Gospel of John as well, uh, earlier on when um, Peter drew the sword. So... Uh, Anyway, very strange that he would say that. So anyway, verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus said, you are, you say rightly that I am a king. Uh, For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, again, please, guys, as I read this, keep in mind that John is the only one who, who gives all this information. The whole, you know, discourse between Pilate and Jesus, all this stuff like this, is in the book of John. Why didn't Matthew, Mark, or Luke record any of that? Did they not know? 
did they know, but they thought it wasn't important to put in there? Why? And don't, don't say, well, because John already said it, so they didn't have to say it. No, because John was written like 100 years after, after Matthew, Mark, and Luke was written, okay? So why didn't they put it in there? Um, you know, 100 years, generally speaking. I'm just, yeah. John was written way after the other ones. At, at the very least, okay, even, even, even the ones who believe that the book of John was written very early, at the very least, it was decades after, okay? At the very latest, it could have been hundreds of years after, according to some, some scholars. Anyway, um, so Jesus said, you say rightly that I'm a king for this cause I was born and for this cause I come into the world, um, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you, but, uh, but you have a custom that I should release someone uh, to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Going into John chapter 19. So uh, it starts out here by Pilate basically sending Jesus off to be scourged. Okay, so let's catch up here in Ma uh, Matthew. Um Matthew, we we ended up uh we left off Matthew 24 verse th or 27 verse 3, excuse me. Matthew 27 verse 3. Then Judas, Judas his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they and they said, "What is that to us?" And see, uh, you see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the pieces, uh, the the silver pieces, and said, "It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood." And they consulted together and brought bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, um, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and they gave and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Okay, there's a lot there, there's a couple problems in here, and since we're reading this, we, we should kind of deal with this. So this is Matthew. Uh, there's a couple problems in here, guys. We'll deal with this. Matthew. Let's begin with <laughs> where do you begin? Because there's a couple big problems. First of all, let's start with the le the lesser of the two problems. That is, okay, it says here that G that Judas hung himself. Okay, we have that story also in Acts chapter one. 
and again, I understand, I know people, they, they, um, they do everything they can to, uh, to try to reconcile this, but this is, in my opinion, a clear contradiction. We will go to Acts chapter 1. Okay, so here's Acts chapter 1. Speaking of Judas, this is Acts chapter 1. Thus beginning verse 17. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with, with the reward of iniquity. Okay, this is talking about Judas. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst. In other words, in, you know, in the midst of his body, basically. And all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem in so much a field is called in the in their proper tongue alkaldama that is to say field of blood okay so in this account judas fell headlong and basically threw himself off of a um, for lack of a better way to put it threw himself off of a cliff you know per se um and he and he uh that's how he did himself in. Whereas, as we just read in, in Matthew 27, it says that he hung himself. And I actually, very interesting, just actually earlier today, I uh, responded to a comment uh, on a YouTube that asked me this question. Like, okay, so Matthew says he hung himself, uh, and Acts chapter 1 says that he basically fell, and his... You know, he he di he died that way. You know, his bowels uh, gushed out. So they asked me. They asked me the question: Which you know, which which is it, or how do you, um, you know, how do you reconcile the two? And I will answer you exactly how I answered in that comment: Is it's not both. You can't have it both ways. It is a contradiction. It is a contradiction. Not only that, but there is something else too. In Matthew chapter 27, what we just read here, this is a problem. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I kind of have to chuckle a little bit to myself because I know how people could try to reconcile. Um, you know, that's one thing I tell you that a lot of a lot of Christians are you know they're good they're good at they're good at they be make good lawyers a lot of them because they they can try they be um they can try to rec they they can reconcile anything but what does it say here again up here in the top left hand corner it says that he um let me see 30 pieces of silver okay 30 remember that number 3030 and it says here that the prophecy was spoken by Jeremiah that he took 30 pieces of silver valued of him who was priced, uh, whom they whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the, the potter's field as the Lord directed me. OK, so the truth of the matter is that is not found anywhere, anywhere in Jeremiah. Rather, it's in Zechariah. 
It's not Jeremiah, but Zechariah. So either Matthew or one of the scribes that copied Matthew somewhere, somebody obviously got it wrong, very wrong. Okay, here we are. Zechariah chapter 11. Again, those of you who are on TikTok, I am on YouTube as well, sharing my screen. So if you're wondering what I'm reading and you want to read along with me, if you want to follow along with me, um, go on over to YouTube. Check me out over there. I'm live right now on YouTube as well as on TikTok. Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. If not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to them, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them in the house of the Lord for the potter. Okay, so that's Zechariah, not Jeremiah. And let me see here. Very interesting little thing I want to show you guys as well. This, this is a, um, let me see if I can do this. This is supposedly a picture of one of those actual pieces of silver that was used, that Judas actually used, or that was given. Um, in this story, this is this is supposed to be. I'll show you guys. Interesting. This coin is reputed to be one of the so-called thirty pieces of silver. Can you imagine that? Doesn't really look like silver in that particular person uh, picture, but um, that is supposed to be one of those pieces of the actual silver that is spoken of in. The uh, okay, I'm not going to wait for that to go on. So, Matthew chapter 27, uh, continuing with the story, this is verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he said, It is it, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things? They testify against you, but he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now, at the, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom? Do you want me to release to you Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ, Yeshua, who is called the Messiah? By the way, Barabbas, um, very interesting because the word bar means son and Abba means father. So son of the father. Interesting that we have a choice between, do you want me to release to you the son of the father or Yeshua, who is called the Messiah. Verse 18, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. You know, that's a piece of information we don't have in any of the other gospels. Verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him, 
sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor asked and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said, Pilate said to them, uh, what then do you want? What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. Again, <laughs> not a very good reason. <laughs> not a very good reason, guys. Uh, not a very good critical thinking going on there. What kind of evidence is that? What, what, did, what did he do? Ah, uh, never mind. He's an evildoer. But what did he do? He's an evildoer. If, it wasn't, he, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. What did he do? What evil has he done? Let him be crucified. Verse 24. Then Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. In other words, it's your, you know, you're responsible for this. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered them, delivered him to be crucified. Luke chapter 23. Okay, so we read verse 3, verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to, to this place. And then we got here, Jesus faces Herod. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the, if the man were a Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in, the, in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accursed, accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for they previously, or for previously, excuse me, they had been at enmity with each other so very interesting here that we have um mention of herod uh just give me a second so this account of luke when it comes to herod is not found at all in the narrative of Matthew, or is it found in the narrative of Mark or of John, as far as I know. 
So that is very peculiar that uh, Luke is the only one that actually mentioned that. The other ones, again, either didn't know about it or didn't think it was important to mention. This is Luke chapter 23, verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having having examined him in your presence, I have found no, no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them, and they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! By the way, again, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. What do you think? was the reason why all of these people hated him so much that they wanted him crucified for no apparent good reason. Think about it for a minute. Did it just happen to be? And like everybody just hated him, all just they just all of a sudden just hated him for no reason. I personally believe, excuse me, I personally believe that we have a hint in in John 7, 7. Also throughout the rest of the Gospels as well, in the way that Yeshua spoke to people, in the way that he dealt with a lot of people, he wasn't nice. I'm sorry, but he was not nice. He made people angry everywhere he went. So angry that they wanted him to be crucified long before he was crucified. <laughs> they wanted to put him. To, they wanted. They wanted to drive him off of a cliff at one point in time. They wanted to stone. They wanted to do everything they can do to get rid of him. Why? See, John chapter seven verse seven says in Yeshua's own words, according to John seven seven, taken for what it is, it says that uh, Yeshua said that the world hates me. The world hates me. Not just a little, not just the Pharisees, not just the, the scribes, and not just the religious people, but the world hates me, he said. Why? He said, because I testify that their deeds are evil. In other words, the world hates me because I preach against what they do. They hate me because I'm telling them that they are evil. That's why they hate me. And I believe that that's that could be a good uh, reason of why people were so adamant that they wanted him dead in spite of the fact that there was no good reason. Just because of that. Let's go on. This is Luke 23, 22. Then he said to them the third time, why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. 
So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Okay. So then we got we go right from there. Uh, according to Luke, we go right from there to basic, basically him uh, carrying his cross. Mark chapter 15, verse 3. The chief priests accused him of many things, um, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you, but Jesus still answered nothing. So Pilate marveled. Now that the feast, now at the feast, he was accustomed to release one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Again, this is another piece of evidence that the scholars believe that uh, Mark was the first one written, uh, and then the other ones, Matthew and Luke, copied from Mark. Um, again, initially, I thought that Mark was probably the last one written because of so many different errors in it, but it could have been uh, that Math or Mark was the first one written, and that's the reason why it was so many so many errors in it because there's so many people that copied it. It was older than the other uh, gospels. And that's the reason why there was different additions and different changes and errors in it. Um, and that Matthew and Luke either corrected the errors or um, they just, their gospels didn't come across the same hands that Mark did. And that's why they don't know, they don't have those errors in it. Regardless, Mark 15, 11, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that uh, he should release, rather release Barabbas to them. Uh, Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them and delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Okay, so that is basically where uh, we're, we're caught up with John 19, verse 1. So let's read, uh, let's again go up to Matthew chapter 27. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Scarlet, by the way, is a color, is the is actually the color of sin, it represents sin. Okay. This could have been one of the reasons why Paul, where he got his um, theory that Yeshua became sin for us. 
And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. Now, again, a lot of people believe that this is kind of like the re- this is like the curse of the land, so to speak, that we read about in Genesis after the fall of Adam and Eve, where it says that the uh, the ground will bear uh, thistles and weeds um, because of their sin, and so. Uh, a lot of Christians believe that this is a symbol that Yeshua took that curse upon himself, um, being crowned with a crown of thorns. Moving on, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Uh, then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Then they mocked him, and when they mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Mark chapter 15, verse 16, then the, then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, that means scarlet, and twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Now, again, we have different, like Matthew added a little bit here with the reed in his hand and all that kind of stuff. Uh, moving on with Mark 15, verse 19. And they struck him on the head with the reed and spat on him and bowed the knee. They, uh, they worshiped, bowing the knee, they worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took a purple they took the purple off him, put it, uh, put his own clothes on him, and led him out uh, to crucify him. Now, we're caught up here with Matthew and Mark and Luke. John 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his, put it on his head. And they put him or put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again, and he said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release to you, or power to release you? And Jesus answered, You can have no power at all against me unless it had been given given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. 
whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Keep in mind, according to John, this was the preparation day of the Passover. This is still before the Passover. Okay? Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then they delivered him to be crucified. Excuse me. Then he delivered him to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. Okay, now we're now we're caught up. Now notice again. Notice again how it's a mixed it's a mixture of of events. John's gospel is not in a chronological order with the other gospels, or, or at least there's a lot of stuff that's thrown in there. Like because in the other gospels, he was done with Pilate. You know, at, at the very beginning of uh, John chapter 19. Yeah. So in the other Gospels, going looking down here in the bottom right-hand corner, uh, by this time after, uh, after Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, he was already done with, uh, with, with Jesus. So um, Pilate was done with Jesus at that time and never, you know, and, and that's that's how it went with, with uh, the other Gospels. Whereas in John's Gospel, it was, it, it got a whole lot of other things that happened here. So now we're at the king on a cross. Let's begin with Matthew 27, verse 32. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And that's all it said about Cyrene, uh, the man the uh, man of Cyrene, Simon. Luke 23, verse 26. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Mark, and they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Now, in the Gospel of John, where do we have that? Where do we have Simon? We don't have Simon at all in the Gospel of John. So the Synoptic Gospels has Simon the Cyrenian, uh, but John has does not have that at all. Back up to Matthew 27, verse 33. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he, he would not drink. Luke chapter 23. 
There's a lot of extra detail we have here in Luke. Uh, verse 27, and a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them sa uh, said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in, in, the, uh, in the dry? There were, uh, there were also two others, criminals, uh, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. So we'll just save that there for uh, the next one. Luke chapter 15, verse 22. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated a place of a skull. And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink. But he did not take it. So this is different than to say that uh, it was uh, sour wine with gall. As, you, as we read up here in Matthew, verse 24, and, they, and when they crucified him, they didn't, okay, so let's, we'll save that for later. John chapter 19, verse 17, and he bearing his cross went to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus and Jesus in the center. Matthew 27, 35. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Okay, so that's in the Psalms. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put over his head an accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. You, you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocked with the scribes and the elders, saying uh, and said, "He saved others; himself he cannot save. He, uh, if he is king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. We will believe him. He trusted in God; let him deliver him now, if he will, if he will have him." For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Okay, down to Mark. And they crucified him. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Um, by the way, you guys, let me just, let me just, uh, show you guys something else here. Um, they do believe that 
they still have as an ancient relic the the seamless robe of Jesus. Now I looked into this myself, and you know, of course, I can't confirm that it is or not the 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 real deal, but it could be. It very well could be. I'll show you guys a picture of it. Here is a picture of what they say they can historically trace back to the time when Yeshua was crucified. This is the seamless robe of Jesus. And the last I heard, this robe is kept at a church in Germany. I find it kind of interesting that it's not this the typical kind of, at least the color of it, uh, is not this, the typical color that you have, you will see in in uh, movies of Yeshua. Um, when you got movies about Jesus and his life, you know he's always you know in, in pictures and paintings. No, I shouldn't say pictures, paintings uh, of Yeshua, depictions and cartoons of him. He's always wearing a a white robe. But if this is legit, which I think it very well could be then the robe was not white. He wasn't wearing a white robe. All right, so um, back to our comparison screen here. So this is Mark chapter 15, verse 25. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. So the third hour would be like the third hour from sunrise, probably approximately 9 a.m. in the morning, mid-morning. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. Quote, the king of the Jews, unquote, basically. Uh, verse 27, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the, and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let, let the Christ, let the Messiah, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, this goes along with Matthew, which says that both of the thieves, as it were, that were crucified with him, both mocked him. Um, checking out John here before we get, uh, I'll, I'll get to Luke in a minute. John 19, 19. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was... Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Okay, so this is different than what we read um, here. Just simply in Mark, it says the King of the Jews, right? So that's different. In Luke, or excuse me, in Matthew, it says this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Different, different still, okay? We got different, different and different. Lots of differences. Again, if you want to, anyone who reads the Bible as if it was lit, like very, very literal, that every single word is actually very accurate. Well, if that's the case, we have many contradictions here. If you read it and you interpret it as, well, it's not every single word is very simple, you know, super accurate, but rather it's the, you know, the gist of it is the same. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then it's not really contradictions. 
Back over to John chapter 19. Then many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I but but right, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from top, from the top in one piece. Um then they said, or they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did, this, did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, uh, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her in to his own, to his own home. Uh, let me just say this. I think this is important to understand. Traditionally speaking, the disciple whom Jesus loved was John, the, the, the actual author of the book of John. I don't think it was for a number of reasons. First of all, I believe we have plenty of evidence that the gospel of John wasn't even written by John. Second of all, um, the disciple whom Jesus loved um, I believe we have a good, we have, I, you know, I can't say 100% for sure, but I tend to, I, I think that it would have been, it would have been James more than John, because James was designated by Jesus to be the leader of the church after he, you know, after his, after he died, re resurrected and ascended. He put James as the leader of the church. And that makes sense that the disciple whom Jesus loved would have been James. James was his brother. And also, um, why would it be John? Because John spent like, why would Jesus put his mother in the custody of John, who was to, I mean, he, he spent a lot, John uh, spent a lot of time, you know, on the island of Patmos. Um he couldn't look after his mother. Uh, it depends on how you want to read it. It depends on how you know how you want to um, how you want to interpret the chrono chronology of the events that transpired after um, after the fact. It could have been John that was the disciple whom Jesus loved. I tend to think it was more likely James, but that's just my own um, observations there. Okay, so Luke chapter 23, let's deal with this. I save Luke for last when it comes to this particular part of the story because Luke is so different. 
Verse 32, and there were two others, criminals, led with him to be uh, put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, uh, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left, um, excuse me, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the left hand, one on the right hand, one and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what to do. Again, we have uh, established this multiple times in the past, in, in past videos, but this particular phrase, I do not believe, was spoken by Jesus because it was not found in the earlier manuscripts, as we see here uh, in the footnotes. The first sentence as a later edition. Okay. So, Father, forgive them for they know not, know not what they do was not, is not accurate. It's not what Jesus actually said. Uh, that was a later addition to the, to the uh, Gospel of Luke. Uh, would have, that would have made it, a, you know, a forgery. That would have made it, a, you know, an addition from some, uh, un, you know, anonymous author, not Luke himself. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. And when the rulers with them sneered, saying, excuse me, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Right? Because again, in the Jewish mind, the Christ, the Messiah, is a king. It's a political leader. It's not someone that's supposed to come and die. It's supposed to be someone who comes and sits on the throne of David and rules, you know, and brings all the exiles back and, and, and brings justice to the Jewish people and to the, uh, the children of Israel. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an ins inscription also was written over him in the, in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. And again, this is uh, different. Actually, this is exactly what uh, Matthew said. It's different from the other accounts. So Matthew and Luke ex um, agrees on that. Verse 39 of Luke 23. Then one of the criminals who hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other... Now, this is, I believe, a contradiction to the other Gospels. Now, I know there are people who try to reconcile it. They say, well, you know, I know Matthew and Mark says that both of the criminals, you know, were mocking him and, you know, scoffing and, you know, blaspheming him and all that kind of thing. And I know that Matthew and Mark doesn't say anything other than that. And they mocked him basically until his death. But... Uh, one of them, you know, uh, had a revelation from heaven, and somehow the spirit of God kind of, you know, you know, slapped him upside the face and and said, "Hey, uh, do you realize what you're, you know, who you are mocking?" And he repented. And then he, then he started. Then he believed. Again, that's an elaborate story that's not in the Gospels. That's an elaborate story that's not in the Gospels because Matthew and Mark says they both mocked him. Luke says only one. Then one, verse 39, then one of the criminals uh, said, it, you know, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and others. It doesn't say both of them did. And then, then later on, one of them uh, repented. It doesn't say that. Again, that is a frivolous attempt to try to reconcile the Gospels. 
Luke said what he said, which is in contradiction to the others. And keep in mind, Luke may or may not have known what Matthew wrote at all. Most scholars believe that Luke got what he got from Mark. Okay. Nevertheless, let's continue to read verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And, in, and we indeed justly, for we, have for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he, uh, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, this needs to be spoken to because there's so much misinformation about, about this passage in Christendom today. Okay, first of all, people say, well, um, see, the, the, the thief on the cross didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to obey the law to get saved. You know, all he had to do is just turn to, you know, in, to Jesus and say, Lord, remember me. And, and he got saved. See, he didn't, he didn't have to get baptized. You know, he didn't have to do anything. That's it. It was just by faith, you know, just by faith. Well, first of all, again, take it with a grain of salt because none of the other gospels mentioned this story. Um, and this story, it, it begins by contradicting the other gospels. So let's take that into, a, uh, into consideration. What am I saying? I'm saying this particular passage may or may not be even true or accurate to the you know to the real historical uh, events that happened. But having said that, and taking it with a grain of salt, let's assume that it is. Let's assume that it is true. If it is true, this particular criminal did obey the Torah fully. In his last moments, you can say, well, how can that be? Well, again, if you understand the Torah, if you understand the law of God, God does not require any more from you than you can actually uh, feasibly and plausibly do. He does not require anything of you that you cannot do. He requires only that you obey to the best of your ability. That is what the law teaches. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 14, talking about the tithes and bringing the, this, the animal sacrifices to the place where the Lord chooses. Well, you know, if it's too far for you, then don't worry about it. Just go and sell the, you know, go and sell your animals and just, you know, take the money and, uh, you know, have fun. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of different things like that in the Torah that makes it very clear that God is not that super, super strict with this. Like you have to, you have to kill yourself trying to, you know, trying to obey my law. And if you don't do that, then you are cursed. That's not the way God is. That's not the way the father of our Lord Jesus is. Bottom line is you do what you can do everything within your ability according to the circumstances that you were under. So you might say, well, what did the criminal do here? What laws did he obey? Ah, he obeyed what he obeyed several right here, just within the last few minutes of his life. He aligned himself perfectly with Torah. Let me explain. First of all, he rebuked his fellow criminal 
That is in accordance with the Torah. Luke chapter 19 says, do not suffer your neighbor to sin, but rebuke him. That's one. Uh, he says, do you not even fear God? Okay, so he feared God. That's another commandment. That's two. We are justly under the same condemnation. You know, we are, we are, we are condemned justly. Number three, that's humility. That's another commandment. That's another part of God's word that he fulfilled. He stood up for, for Jesus. That's another command of the Torah. You are to uh, take up the cause of a just man. You are to stand up for the, for the righteous. That is in accordance to the Torah. That's number four. Number three, he called on the name of the Lord. I mean, number, excuse me, what is this now? Number five? <laughs> what did I say number three, four? Number five, he called on the name of the Lord. Okay, he did several things. He did everything he could possibly do to obey Torah while he was hanging there in the last moments of his life. Jesus knew that, and that is why he said, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus recognized this man, oh, by the way, number six, I didn't even mention this. Number six is he repented, right? He repented, clear uh, commandment in the Torah to repent. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses one through 10. It's a clear commandment in, in the Torah to repent. Explained well also in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 18, 19 through to the end of the chapter. So there's at least six. We can perhaps even pull out seven if we really look into it of different commands that this man fulfilled in his last moment. So he indeed fulfilled the Torah completely. And in accordance to Ezekiel chapter 18, because he did everything he could do according to the law of God, given the circumstances that he was in, he was completely forgiven and none of the sins that he committed in his past was remembered against him. Period. Full stop. End of story. That's how he got salvation. Jesus didn't say to him here, oh, Bo, uh, uh, my dear, uh, you know, fellow uh, you know, uh, criminal here, uh, my, my dear brother here, you're being crucified. And I understand, but you need to accept me as Lord and Savior. You need to, you need to, to accept my debt that I've paid for you. I'm paying your debt for you. No, that's not what Jesus said. Why? That's not the gospel here. The gospel is repent. The same gospel that Jesus himself preached throughout the gospels. The same, it's the first thing he preached. Read it. It's the first thing that the disciples preached according to the gospel of, of Mark. It's the last thing that Jesus preached to, the, uh, to his churches, to the church in the book of Revelation. Chapters 2 and 3. Read it. It's preached throughout the, the, uh, the book of Acts. Read it. It is the gospel of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, turn from your sin, turn to God, be, because the kingdom of heaven is easy. It's easy. It's right there in front of you. Turn from your sin, mean, meaning stop violating the Torah. Start obeying the Torah. Start obeying the law of God. Start obeying the commands of God. It is right there. It's at hand. It's easy. According to Deuteronomy thir uh, th uh, chapter 30, 
verses 11 through to the end of the chapter. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is a, is a summary of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 10 is repent. Turn from your sin. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, basically uh, meaning that you don't have to go anywhere. It's right there in front of you. Just reach out and take it. It's easy. That is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 and following. So this particular criminal, if indeed this story is accurate, which again, it's questionable seeing that no other gospel had mentioned it, although it could be. If it's accurate, then that's the reason why he was saved. And by the way, some people say, well, you see, in the in the Greek, there's no punctuation mark. So what Jesus, you know, the you know, the the the, the criminal was not in uh didn't go to paradise right then and there. He went into soul sleep. And then later on, uh, you know, after the you know, after the resurrection, then he'll go into heaven. No. No. I believe that all of the trans translators as far as I know of, every translator from every tradition of Bible translators put the comma before the word today. In other words, some people believe that the comma should be after the words today, the word today. In other words, some people believe that Jesus said, assuredly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, you will be sometime in the future, but not right now. I mean, you're going to be sleeping in death for a long time until later on. Then maybe on later on, you'll be with me in paradise. No. Why do I say that? First of all, because it's not consistent with the rest of Scripture. It's not consistent with the, with, with the rest of the way, uh, with all of the other sayings of Jesus. In all the other Gospels, in all the other ways, the, the way Yeshua talked, the way Jesus talked, He always said, you know, verily, verily, I say unto you. Assuredly, I say unto you. Truly, I say unto you. Comma. That's the way He always spoke. That's consistent to have the comma after the you. All of the, all of the gospels, you read it, you check it out. That's how, that's how Yeshua spoke. That was his common way of speaking. Truly, truly, I say unto you, comma, yada, yada, yada. Verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, yada, yada, yada. Or in, in, like in this in this translation, in the New King James, assuredly I say to you, comma, that is consistent with with the way Yeshua always spoke. That's the way he always spoke. He never ever said, assuredly I say unto you today, comma, because it's 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 ridiculous. Why would you have? It's like it's like me saying right now. Like, can you imagine? meeting me in person and if i speak to you and i say well i'm you know i, I speak to you today uh, you know truly i tell you today why would you say today uh, it's obvious you're speaking to me now it's obvious you're speaking to me today so to be consistent the comma comes before today and also to be consistent with the rest of scripture express you know especially Second Esdras, uh, in the book of Enoch as well. Uh, when you die, when you breathe your last, your, your spirit goes, your soul goes to a place, a holding place. 
in for the righteous people, it will be paradise. For the unrighteous people, it will be hell or some form thereof. Okay. Uh, so we'll deal with this. Jesus dies on the cross, and then we will pick up the rest at another time. Jesus dies on the cross. Okay, uh, since we're since I'm on a roll here, destroying uh, false doctrine. Let's let's start with John. John chapter nineteen, verse twenty-eight. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying, "I thirst," is said. Excuse me. He said, "I thirst." Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with. The sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his, he- his head, he gave up th- uh, his spirit. Okay. Now, this is a huge thing. This is another one of these passages, n- not even a passage. It's just a, a phrase, one phrase out of one verse that Christianity has blown way out of proportion and made a, a, a complete doctrine out of. Say, well, Jesus said it is finished. What does that mean? Well, that the battle is over. The battle, uh, you know, that the 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 plan of salvation is is done. He has purchased our salvation for us. It is finished. You do no more. No more work is to be done. It is all done. Nothing, nothing more needs to be added. The plan of salvation is closed. It is finished. Need you 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 need not do any more. It's done. When Jesus said it is finished, he means that's it. The the debt is paid. And your salvation is purchased. Well, sounds great. Sounds beautiful. Sounds right on. I mean, I mean, it's it certainly will uh um bring the uh the cheers from the Christian crowd and from people who really can I say it? Don't know what they're talking about. I mean, it gives you good feelings and all that kind of thing. And a lot of people would think that it's actually the the Spirit of God that's witnessing with them, but it's not. Why? How can I say that? Let me give you two pieces of evidence. Talking about evidence, two pieces of evidence. Number one, and this is in no particular order. Number one, the plan of salvation is not finished at the cross. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. It's not done. There's a lot more to be done. He he had to have rested on the Sabbath day. He had to have stayed in the grave during Saturday. He had to have resurrected. He had to have ascended before salvation is finished. Paul, even Paul, for those of you who are Paulians and those of you who, uh, whether you're Paulian or not, Paul made that very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. It is not finished on the cross. Not finished. Without the resurrection, as Paul said, your preaching is vain and your faith is vain. That's a fact, guys. That's a fact. 
hey, I'm not here to please any church board or please anybody. I'm here to tell you the truth, man. I'm, I'm here to tell you the truth. That's a fact. Don't spiritualize, over-spiritualize, over-exegete and read into the passage what it doesn't say. So then somebody might say, well, what did Jesus mean by it is finished then? I'll tell you what it means. He just meant, I'm done. <laughs> it's over. This chapter of my life is, clo is closed. I'm going to die. That's all he meant. How do I know that? Look it up in the Greek. I'll challenge you. For those of you who are what, like you're thinking, hmm, is what, is what he's saying true? I challenge you. Look it up in the Greek. The word, the phrase, it is finished, is, comes from the Greek word teleo. It's the same word that Paul used when he wrote to Timothy his last letter, basically saying, I'm ready to give it up. I'm, I'm, you know, basically this is my last letter. Uh, you know, I've, I've run the race. I've finished, you know, run my course. I've finished the race. I, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. It's basically a euphemism basically to say, Hey, I'm about to kick the bucket. <laughs> that, that's what it means. Simple as that. No more. Don't read anything more into it than what it, than what it says. It is when, when Yeshua said it is finished, he meant the exact same thing that Paul said when Paul said that he's finished. Teleo, it's the same word. All it means, sorry, but all it means, <laughs> sorry, try again. <laughs> Although it's going to be in vain if you try again, let me tell you that. So, all Jesus meant was this. Hey, <laughs> I'm about to go. <laughs> I'm about to breathe my last, guys. It's finished. Teleo. Done. I'm done. Okay? I'm about to kick the bucket, guys, okay? Same word that Paul used. No more, no less. Don't over-spiritualize it. Don't over-devotionalize it. Don't over-exegete it. That's what it means. And by the way, once again, if it's so important to make an entire doctrine out of it, why didn't any of the other Gospels say that? Why is it only the Gospel of John that brings that, 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 that says that? Why is it only the Gospel of John? Okay, let's, let's check out um, the other Gospel. So again, the Gospel of John 19, verse 30, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, Teleo, it is finished. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> It's over with, guys. I'm I'm done. I'm out of here. That's basically what he was saying. That's all. Uh, the, in bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Um, Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Uh, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, he's quoting from Psalms. Some of those who stood there, when they heard it, said, the man is calling for Elijah. Uh, immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offer, offered it offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Okay, where's the, where's the it is finished there? Apparently, Matthew didn't know about it or he didn't think it was impor important enough to put it in there. Mark 15, 33. Now it was the sixth hour. 
Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Uh, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, say, saying, Eloi, 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 this is a little bit different than Matthew, Lama Sabathani, which is, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard it said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of uh, sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to, to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the, the, veil of the temple was torn in two. Ah. This is, this is different. This is another contradiction. You would say, Christopher, what are you talking about contradiction? Let me, let me explain. Here in Luke, we have the veil of the temple being torn into before, before he died. Okay? In Matthew, the veil of the temple was torn after he died. In Mark, the veil of the temple was torn after he died. Okay. Um, John, uh, where is it even, where is the veil of the temple at all in John? <laughs> uh, so it, this is a contradiction. It is a contradiction. Bend it and twist it and dance around it and do your th hermeneutical, philosophical, exegetical gymnastics around it and trying to make it reconcile one, one with the other all you want. But the truth of the matter is it's a contradiction. And what does this mean, by the way? Because people say, you know, again, you know, I'm sure you all heard this. It's like, well, the veil was the one who it, it, the veil was the thing that 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 blocked off the public the entrance into the holy of holies. Therefore, when the veil was torn in two, that was symbolic. That now anyone, excuse me, anyone, just anyone can just go into the holy of holies. That because the death of Jesus provided a way for everyone to go to, before the presence of God. Again, sounds so good, sounds so beautiful, sounds so wonderful. It's fantastic, but it's more like a fantasy. It's not fantastic, it's fantasiacal because, because that's not right. It's not true. How do we know that? Because nobody was allowed into the holy place, let alone the holy holy place, even after that. In fact, Hegesippus, one of the historian, the early church historians, um, uh, testifies in his writings that only James the Just was allowed to go into the holy place. Nobody can just walk in there. Even after the, the veil was torn, nobody can just walk in there. And they still perform performed uh, their sacrifices and they still... The, the, you know, the high priest was still there. Nothing really changed, okay? There's no historical evidence that all of a sudden, oh, now we have, a, you know, a public viewing of the Ark of the Covenant, and now anybody and everybody can just walk in the temple. No, absolutely not. Far from it. God, God forbid, that's not how it happened. Read it. Read Josephus. 
Read the book of Acts. You don't, you don't hear about that at all. Read Hegesippus. Read the other historical documents around that time and the, and the extra biblical documents and books that we have from around that time in the first century. That's not, that's not the truth. So why, did, why was the veil of the temple torn? Well, the veil represented the body of Yeshua, right? So when the body of Yeshua was broken, the, the, the veil was broken, or the veil was torn. Um, there are different theories and as to what exactly it meant. I mean, first of all, maybe it just meant that, hey, this is a, this is, this is a warning from God. You know, hey, or this is just a sign from God. Wake up, guys. This is actually the son of God. Wake up, guys. God is actually behind this guy. You know, God Almighty is actually uh, with Yeshua on the cross, okay? It's not just any man. It's not a criminal. And so God just did that as a sign. I know um, our our brother Onia mentioned, and I think it's a very good uh, observation as well. I'm not saying that uh, I'm, I'm 100%, uh, you know, uh, bought over to it, but I believe it is a good possibility. And Onia said that he believes that the veil of the temple was torn just as uh, it was God telling the people that their sacrifices were not acceptable. Or I should say this, their sacrifices were in vain because of their sin, God's wrath, basically. But the wonderful ear tickling butterfly producing butterfly in the stomach producing uh, doctrine that the veil of the temple was torn so that everybody can go into the presence of God. This is not true. It's just not true. So in Luke, now it was about the sixth hour in darkness uh, was over all the earth until the ninth hour. Uh, then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. In the footnotes, we have the middle, torn through the middle. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Again, where is the, it, it is finished. It's not there. Sorry, Gospel of John, but it's not there. Uh, so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. So I believe that God did what he did here in the sense that he tore the temple, or excuse me, tore the veil of the temple to get this response. This was the cause, this, right? This was the cause. And the purpose of tearing the, the veil was to get this response. So this was the cause. And this was the result. Verse 48. And the whole crowd who gathered, uh, who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. Again, that is part of the reason. God always does everything. We've read it so, so much throughout the scriptures. We have read it so, so much over the, how many months or even years for those of you who are, who have, uh, you know, you know me for a long time, um, that everything that God does is to bring repentance 
to cause people to repent. So the veil, the veil of the temple was torn to cause people to repent. Certainly this was a righteous man. They beat their breasts and returned. In other words, they were sorry. But all his acquaintances and women who followed him from Galilee stood at a different distance watching these things. Okay. Um, Again, Mark chapter 15, verse 38, then the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like, like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking from afar, among, um, uh, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, the, uh, Mary, the mother of James, the less, and Joses, and Shalome, who also followed him and ministered to him and, uh, when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So Matthew 27, 51 then the, uh, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. By the way, guys, have you ever wondered who it was that actually rose from the dead here? It says many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, according to uh, the extra-biblical books from the, uh, uh, you know, from the early centuries, we do have an account of who these body, who these people were. Uh, to make a long story short, according to the quote-unquote New Testament apocrypha, if you want to put it that way, according to some of the um, anti-Nicene works. Uh, of the early church, these saints were none other than saints such as Abraham, Job, uh, and so on and so forth, some of the ancient patriarchs. Just FYI. Verse 54, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying this, or truly this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministered to him, uh, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joses, and, uh, and the mother of uh, Zebedee's sons. Okay, uh, I'm going to read a little bit more from John, and that'll be it for this particular session. John 19, verse 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the, that the bodies should remain on the cross, excuse me, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, uh, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that the legs, their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other uh, who was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he had, uh, he was already dead and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has 
seen has testified, and his testimony is true. Um, and he and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you might may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Uh, and again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Okay, so um, yeah, so uh, we will pick up when it comes uh, the uh, reading of the gospels about uh, the burial and uh, all that kind of thing. We will do that um, Lord willing, we'll do that on Shabbat. We'll do that on Shabbat, and maybe the resurrection, we'll talk about that on Sunday. Okay? Um, in the meantime, uh, tomorrow we'll see how it goes. I'm trying to figure out exactly how to do this, because um, this is the first time I'm actually going to be doing this online. So tomorrow, um, I would like to do a... Uh, Passover Seder with with y'all, and so uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. I'm not sure exact again all the details on that. So, those of you who are interested, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure you get the notifications on, and and uh, and we'll see what we can do tomorrow evening. Okay. Um. Let's see what we got here. So I'll answer a few questions. I know there's a lot of stuff going on here in the chat. I can't get it all. Definitely can't get it all. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time tonight uh, getting into the chat. Um, one John says, uh, how would any of the apostles know what was said? None of them were present in Pilate's chamber. When he was questioning Jesus, that's the thing. Uh, see, that's the thing. Uh, the whole idea, and you know, a lot of a lot of scholars say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them, none of the authors were eyewitnesses. None of them were eyewitnesses. So, exactly what was said? Hey, <laughs> we can only speculate. Um, you know. The officers of uh, Pilate's guard and the people that were present there um, heard what they heard and, you know, uh, rumor, you know, got around ex exactly what was said. Keep in mind that these Gospels were written like decades after the fact as well. They were written decades after the fact. And so that could be the reason why there are so much differences, so many differences be, uh, between uh, even the synoptic gospels, let alone the gospel of John, the gospel of John. Again, it, it says, that's in its own league. Very good question. Uh, one, John, thank you for asking. Let's see what else we got here. One John uh, says, if John was the one he loved and John was written by John, then why would John speak of this disciple in the third party? John 
would say, Jesus said to me. That's almost like a tongue. It sounds like a tongue twister. Try that. Try saying that as fast as you can. One John said, if John was the one he loved and John was written by John, then why would John speak of this disciple in a third party? John would say, Jesus said to me. Yeah. Um, so I understand the, the, the principle, the theory of it. The theory is that, um, maybe I shouldn't say theory. Uh, the, the, the speculation is that John spoke of himself in a third party just because he's very humble. He doesn't want to show him. He doesn't want to talk about himself as, you know, when Jesus spoke to me. You know, that might work if John was actually, if the Gospel of John was actually written by John. But it seems that uh, the more evidence we see of the Gospel of John, the more that we see that it wasn't written by John at least not the disciple of John. So, yeah, Vinny asked a question here. Um, the seamless robe, would that be the same fine robe that Herod put on him and sent him back to Pilate in Luke twenty-two eleven? 11? Uh, Vinny, I believe it's Luke twenty-three eleven. I don't believe it is the same robe. I think we got a couple different robes going on here. We got the... the uh, the purple slash scarlet robe, you know, the the, the extravagant robe, the, the royal robe, so to speak. Um, and I think that's what was uh, spoken of in Luke 23, 11. And so then we got like Jesus regular garb, right? The the seamless robe of Jesus, which would have been his like his everyday kind of um, um, clothing probably what he would have been wearing in the garden when he was arrested. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's, I don't believe it's the same robe. Very good question, Vinny. Thank you for asking. One John says, I hear that all the time. The finished work of the cross, the finished work of the cross. It's such a cliche, isn't it? It's such a cliche. It is again, if it's so important to, to build a whole you know, Christian dynasty on it. Why didn't the other gospels say anything about it whatsoever? It's like nothing about that whatsoever. We only have one gospel that was written late, very late, that that says that. And again, even if it's true that he used those those words, which honestly, I doubt it. But even even if it is true that he used those words. It doesn't mean what the Christ, what most Christians think that it means. It means exactly what Paul meant in 2 Timothy when he wrote to Paul. That's all it meant. It's, it's the same Greek word. It's simply, hey, I'm about to die. That's it. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm done, man. I'm finished. That's basically what he was saying. I tell them nothing was finished, uh, that, that the cross was the beginning of salvation. That's, that's, that's about it. Even Paul, even Paul, you know, the, 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 God, the, uh, uh, the quote unquote apostle that they stake their soul on says the exact same thing. Without the resurrection, there's no salvation.
The Great Deception says the great hope is and always will be the resurrection. Wow, that's awesome. Good. That's very well spoken. One John says, if he was calling my God, why are the people saying that that he was calling for Elijah? Um, very good question. Very good question. Because, you know, we got the, um, Matthew and Mark saying that he was calling out to my God, my God. And one of them said, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabath, Lama Sabathani. The other one said, Eloi, or Eloi, Eloi. Um, Eloi, kind of different, again, different pronunciation. Uh, this is where a lot of people get the idea that Yeshua spoke in Aramaic, Aramaic, I should say, Aramaic, uh, because this is Aramaic that Aramaic that was transliterated into Greek, that was translated into English. So uh, it's not, uh, it's not. It's not a huge jump to go from Ali, Ali, Alo, 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 Aloe, um, or you know what, you know what, John, uh, I'm gonna one John, I am going to pull up the Peshitta again because it's just awesome. The Peshitta, um, oh, where are we? Don't want to get lost here. Uh, the Peshitta. Okay, because the Peshitta is the is the God the New Testament in the um, in Aramaic. It would have been the exact same language that Yeshua himself spoke. Let me just pull it up here so you guys on YouTube can actually see what I'm doing. Peshitta.org is where I'm going. For those of you who want reference for your own. Um, your own studies, Peshitta, P-E-S-H-I-T-T-A dot O-R-G. That is uh, the website that that is um, the online New Testament in Aramaic. So this, according to many scholars, that is what Jesus actually spoke was Aramaic, not necessarily traditional Hebrew or Greek or Latin for that matter. It was Aramaic. Um, And so Let's go to, again, let's go to the tools at Peshitta.org. For those of you who are on TikTok, just letting you know what I'm doing here. If you want to go over to YouTube, you'll see what I'm doing. Um, just go to YouTube and search for Christopher Enoch. I'm live right now. I'm not going to be live much longer, but I am right now. Uh, so Peshitta.org tools. I opened up tools and lexicon. And I'm going to search in here for God. Okay. Search. Now this is the Aramaic for God. Allah. 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 It's the first thing that comes up here in Aramaic, Aramaic from, uh, for God. By the way, you guys know that churches in around Syria and in the Middle East, uh, churches that speak Aramaic, they, in their services, they don't say God. God is an English word. They say Allah or Aloha, or excuse me, Allah, 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 Eastern and Western 
different pronunciations. Um, Allah, Allaha is another variation of it. Allah, Allo, Aloho is another variation of it. Alahea, Alahea, Alohea, Alohea, Alohea. This is all basically what am I doing? I'm looking up what the words that Yeshua could have actually used for God. Eli. Okay, Eli is in the Hebrew, actually, um, meaning my God. Alahe, Alohe. Alahuan, Alahuan, Alohuan. Alahi, Alahak. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all of these, but I just want to show you guys that there are many different ways in the Aramaic to say, my God. So I would say that the reason why they thought that he said Elijah, they were calling for, he was calling for Elijah, perhaps, I mean, he was very weak at the time. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't quite coherent. Yeshua was on, on his last, <laughs> he was on his last breath. Okay. Uh, so he wasn't, I can see he probably would have been slurring his words, very, very weak and uh, maybe hard to hear. So it was, it wouldn't be very, very far. It wouldn't be a very far, far stretch to go from something like Allah or Aloiah or Elo. Aliyah, uh, to go some go from that to Aliyah. Aliyah is actually the Hebrew for Eli, uh, Elijah, Aliyah. So I think that because those words are so close in the way they sound, especially on the lips of a dying man, I think that it would be easy to confuse the two, uh, Eli or Eloi, according to Mark Eloi, as opposed to. Eli in, in Matthew. So we got many different things that, different ways that Yeshua could have pronounced my God in Aramaic. And because of that, um, I think that there would have been a very, very fine line between the word in Aramaic for my God and the word in Aramaic for El Elijah. It would have been very, very similar to the point where they, they uh, mistaken the two. They, they confused the two. Baker on TikTok says Alahi, not Eli or Eli. In in Arabic it's Allah, and Aramaic it's Allah, Allaha. Okay, Allaha. I think you know on on this particular on Peshitta, the Aramaic website, it's actually Allah, A A L A H. Allah, the first one. According to the the Aramaic lexicon word H10, uh, it is A-A-L-A-H, Allah, or Allah in the Western. 
Nevertheless, there are many different ways of saying my God in Aramaic that could have been easily confused with Elijah. Okay, so that's it. I'm going to wrap it up for tonight, you guys. Um, thank you. I know you guys had a lot. I'm not sure. Sorry, I couldn't get to your chat as I usually do. Um, I couldn't get to all your chat. And I couldn't interact as like as I usually do. My apologies. Uh, but it's just so much to cover tonight. As you know, there was so much information, so much material covered here, uh, going through all four Gospels and each of, of the account of the, uh, you know, of the arrest or the from the arrest, basically, uh, from the trial all the way through to the crucifixion of Yeshua until he breathed his last. And, uh, and so awesome guys. Awesome. Um, thanks again for your, your fellowship. Thanks again for your, um, um, for your questions, your comments. Psalm 94 says, is it going to be 7 p.m. tomorrow night as usual for the Passover supper? Um, yeah. Yeah. That'd be 7 p.m. Eastern, depending on what, where you are in the world that can translate into many different times, but 7 p.m. Eastern. The Great Deception says, thank you, brother. I knew that I misspelled it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. One John says, thanks so much. This is quite a chore. Blessings to you. And thank you, brother. I appreciate you. You guys are awesome. Again, you guys are world changers. This is what, you're, this is what it's all about, man. It's all about you guys. It's all about you guys. Great Deception says, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. All right. Caesar says, much love, much love back to you as well. Blessings multiplied back to you. Vinny says, thank you uh, so much, Christopher. God bless everyone. Shalom. Yes, God bless you as well. Multiplied blessings to you, Vinny. And may you have a wonderful, wonderful Pesach. Um, I know to, you're, you're far ahead, of, you're far ahead uh, of, of us all, or at least most of us. I'm not sure how many other people be listening to this, but yes. All right, guys. I'll see you again. As always, I pray blessings multiplied to you abundantly. You guys are awesome. And so God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening or day wherever you are in the world. Until next time, as always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow, guys.